family. Today we are entering our eighth week of the study of the book of Ephesians. And it is our goal to finish chapter 2 this morning. Thus this morning we will be in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 through 22. Now a lot has transpired over the past four weeks as we have studied through chapter 2. We have seen that in our depraved state and outside of Jesus Christ, that we are dead in our sin, dead in our trespasses, and left to ourselves, we have no hope of salvation. But God, God being rich in mercy, did not give His children what they deserve. He did not give them justice. He did not give them wrath or eternal condemnation. Instead, He gave them grace. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Thus we are saved by God's grace, received through faith. By trusting in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And by trusting in the good news of Jesus Christ, we as Christians, we are new creations who are one with Christ, who are united in Christ. Thus, we are no longer separated from God and hostile toward His people, but we possess peace with God. And we should naturally then display peace toward His children. But what exactly does that look like? What does it look like that we possess peace with God and as the children of God, we should display peace toward each other? Because if we were to be honest, it seems as though that the church at large has struggled to apply the peace and the union they have with God into peace and union with each other. I Heard a joke in the past about a pastor who noticed a boy in his congregation named Alex staring up at a large plaque that hung in the foyer of the church. The plaque was covered with names and giant American flags were mounted on either side of it. The five-year-old had been staring at the plaque for some time, so the pastor walked up, stood behind him, and said quietly, Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Pastor, little Alex replied, still focusing on the plaque with all the huge American flags. Pastor, what is this? Little Alex asked. Well, son, it's a memorial to all the men and the women who were killed in the service. Soberly, they stood together staring at the large plaque. Little Alex's voice was barely audible when he finally managed to ask the question, Which one were they killed in, the 9 o'clock service or the 1031? I mean, it is hard to have peace when church members are killing each other during a service. But what does it mean, Christian? And what does it look like for the Christian to have peace with God and peace with his brothers and sisters in Christ? Which brings us to our thesis statement this morning, or the overall theme that we will be looking at in our two points this morning. Our thesis statement is this, Christian, you have a new identity. 
one that is intimately united with God and intimately united with other believers. Brother Christian, sister Christian, you have a new identity, one that is intimately united with God and intimately united with other believers. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 2. We will be in verses 19 through 22. I would highly recommend you following along in your Bibles this morning. Again, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. The Apostle Paul writes, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your redemptive work on the cross. Lord, I thank you for the word that you have given us this morning. It is through Jesus Christ and Christ alone that we are citizens together in the kingdom of God, that we are members together in God, your family. We are living stones in your holy temple, unified with you, God, and unified with each other. Help us to be a body church that displays that to the world. Father, give us eyes to see this text this morning. Give us ears to hear it. Give us hearts that lead us to a change in our life, one that loves you and loves people. Let our actions display this to the world. Father, I pray for my depraved, lisping, stammering tongue this morning. Father, I pray that I am faithful to this wonderful text. I pray you be glorified through the words that your spirit has given me. And above all else, Father, that you be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We will begin this morning with the first of two points, both of which are based on the three different illustrations that Paul uses in the text to display that Christians are intimately united with God and intimately united with each other. Point number one is this, that all Christians are citizens together in God's kingdom and members together in God's family. All Christians, we are citizens together in God's kingdom and we are members together in God's family. Verse 19, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. If you remember from last week that before coming to Christ, Paul said, you Gentiles, you Ephesians, in verse 12, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. In verse 13, he said, you were far off from God. But now... 
Or so then, as we see in verse 19, because you are now one with Jesus Christ, you have peace with God, and you are no longer strangers or aliens, but instead you are fellow citizens with the saints, with the redeemed from all prior ages. Paul's saying that you Gentiles, you are now part of the same kingdom. You are entitled to the same privileges. You are distinguished as civilians of the kingdom of God, just as all other believing saints. Listen carefully to this wonderful news. Anyone that through faith in the work of Jesus Christ, by trusting in him alone as the only one who can forgive them of their sins and can reconcile them back to God, anyone can be citizens in God's kingdom, in God's eternal church, with the same privileges, the same benefits, the same entitlements, the same protections and identity as any past believer who had faith in the Messiah Jesus Christ now or ever before them. Because in God's kingdom, there are no second-class Christian citizens. You've either been given the grace of God or you haven't, and that that is what it means to have your identity, your citizenship, being one in Jesus Christ. Now this illustration of citizens and the privileges that come with being a citizen, they might not have or it might not have a profound impact on us. Because as Americans, too often, myself included, we take for granted the privileges we have as citizens or we don't consider what it would be like without them, or what it would be like to be a stranger or an alien in a country. Or your translation this morning might have foreigner or sojourner or non-citizen in a country. Thus, to offer some insight on these terms within the realm of the ancient Near East, William Barclay, he puts it this way. He said, for foreigners, for strangers, life was not easy. The foreigner was always regarded with suspicion or dislike. The sojourner or the alien, he was a resident alien. He had taken up residence in a place but never became a citizen. He paid a tax to live in the land, a land that was not his. Both stranger and alien were always on the fringe. Both felt as though they never belonged. Do you imagine going through life feeling that way? Feeling as if you did not belong? But that is no longer the case for the Gentiles. Now in Christ, Paul declares, you Gentiles, you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are no longer aliens or sojourners or strangers or foreigners, but you are citizens in God's kingdom. What grace, what words to hear. As Paul writes in Philippians 3.20, their citizenship is in heaven and they can eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, we as Christians, we are a people that now belong. We have an eternal king with an eternal kingdom and we belong to the king, we belong to God, and you must never, ever forget that. But Christians, we are not just citizens together. 
We are members together in the household of God, as it says in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are members of the household of God. Last week in verse 18... We saw that through faith in Jesus Christ, the Jews who became Christians and the Gentiles who became Christians, they are now one people. They both possess access to God. They both possess peace with God. And they both should display peace toward each other. But just how intimate, just how close are Christians to be with God and how close are they to be with each other? In the first illustration, Christians as citizens in God's kingdom together, there is certainly a level of intimacy between citizen and citizen. I mean, consider the 4th of July and how proud and close Americans feel together on that day. There are patriotic parades We have fireworks. We have cookouts. There is an intimate sense of camaraderie on that day between American citizen and American citizen. Or consider the Olympics. Citizens from countries all over the world proudly and intimately cheer on their countrymates for Olympic success. No one can doubt that as citizens of a country, on some level, there is a unique closeness or a unique bond that naturally forms. But we also know that the closeness and intimacy we share as citizens, church, it is nothing compared to the closeness and intimacy we experience as family members. And that family intimacy, that family closeness, that family love, that family bond, it is something we also share as members of the family of God. 1 John chapter 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Church, remember back to Ephesians 1. God chose us, His children, before the creation of the world. And in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons according to the good pleasures of his will. It pleased God to adopt us as his children. I read an adoption story online by Gerald Penix. Gerald Penix, he said that he and his wife had waited 15 years for a child that never came by the natural way. However, one day they were approached with a lead of a newborn up for adoption. Penix said, I remember standing in front of the judge on the day of adoption. He pointed his finger at me and asked, is anyone coercing you to adopt this little boy? After he had assured him that they were doing so out of their love for this child, the judge made this statement. He said, from today on, he is your son. He may disappoint you, even grieve you, but he is your son. Everything you own one day will be his, and he will bear your name. 
Then he looked at the clerk and gave this command. So order a change in this child's birth certificate. And may it reflect that these are the parents of this child. Church, our Heavenly Father was not and is not coerced into loving us. He loves us as his children because that is his character. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons, to adoption as daughters, according to the good pleasures of his will. And it pleased God to adopt us as his children. You see, so often we think of adoption as only, as only some type of legal transaction. A child legally becoming a member of a family. A child legally getting his name changed. A child legally becoming the heir or the beneficiary to the family's inheritance. Now all of that is true. But adoption into the family of God. It is not just a legal transaction. It is not just God adopting you and then slapping the family seal, making you an heir, and not caring one bit whether he actually loves you or you love him. And how do we know this to be true? Galatians 4, 6 says, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Because you are sons, God has sent his spirit, the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God not only wants us to know we are legally His, but He sent His Spirit into our hearts so we can know that He loves us and that we can approach Him as a child would approach their loving Father. Think about that for a second. That is how close, that is how intimate the relationship between God and the Christian is. God loves us as a perfect father would love his child. And if God is our heavenly father, then church, we are a family. Listen to the language in 1 Timothy 5. Paul's instructions for the church. He says, Younger man, he says do not rebuke an older man but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, all in purity. The church, it is a united, it is a devoted, loving, caring, discipling, disciplining, evangelizing, serving family of believers faithful to their father and committed to the fellowship. To borrow the words of Richard Avery, the church, it is not a building, it is not a steeple, it is not a a resting place. The church is the people of God, the household of God, who in unison and as one body are devoted to God, loving others like God and seeking with all their might to glorify God. Let us, let us be a church body, faith, Bible, fellowship, church that looks like a family devoted to their father God as his redeemed, adopted, and loved children. Let us be a church body, Faith Bible Fellowship Church, that looks like a family devoted to their Father God as His redeemed, as His adopted, and as His loved children. Which brings us to our second point this morning. Christian, you have been called to be a living stone as part of God's holy temple. Christian, you have been called to be a living stone 
as part of God's holy temple. Verses 20 through 22. But on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, excuse me, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, just as we saw that as Christians we are citizens together in God's kingdom, we are members together in God's family, in His household, so too are we stones, if you will, that are being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets where Christ Jesus Himself is the cornerstone. And we are joined we are built together into a holy temple. We're going to work backward here in verse 20 in order to see the beauty of this wonderful building or holy temple illustration. Now, as any any master builder knows, in order to construct a strong building, you need to start at the ground level. And at the base of this holy temple, we see in verse 20 that Jesus Christ, he is the cornerstone. Now, ancient buildings, when being built, they needed a cornerstone. They needed a giant stone which needed to be strong enough to uphold or sustain the building that it was being built on, and it needed to be placed It needed to be set perfectly because every line, every angle of that building was in symmetry. It was in alignment with that stone. And that is Jesus Christ. It is only Christ with the power to uphold the church, to grow the church, to protect the church, to sustain the church, and to empower the church. And it is also Christ in whom the church must maintain perfect alignment, perfect symmetry with. Which leads us to the foundation, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, if you want to know where the true churches in this world are and where the apostate churches are, look to the foundation. If the foundation of a church if it is built on the divine revelation of God given to the apostles, recorded in the scriptures, and pointing to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as the only means for the forgiveness of sins, you have a church that is of and for God. But if you have a church whose foundation is built on self-help talks, doing what you feel like is best, or five ways to becoming a more confident leader, that church is built on man and his lust. Not on Christ. Church, do not miss this this morning. The true church is built on the foundation of the doctrines of God, supernaturally revealed to the apostles and prophets, recorded in the scriptures, and they always point us to Christ. That must be, and without compromise, the foundation we build on. So that leaves us with the question, what is our role? What is our call as Christians in all of this? 
verses 20 and 21. It says, so then you are no longer, excuse me, 20 and 21, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We are, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2, we Christians are living stones placed on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. And you might be sitting there thinking, huh, what are you talking about? Church, Christ Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. He is the weight-bearing, angle-aligning cornerstone. The foundation of the church, it has already been poured They are the doctrines of God. They have been given to the apostles, recorded in the scriptures, and this is the foundation in which the church is built on. So now we need some building materials. We need some stones. We need some living, breathing Christian stones all fitting together perfectly to build this holy temple, to build the church. You dig what I'm saying? You, brother Christian, you, sister Christian, are the stones. You are the materials that make up the rafters and the beams and the pillars and the windows all coming together, Jew and Gentile alike from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every background. And what do we have in common? Verse 21, it says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom we have Christ together. We belong and are joined together to grow into a holy temple in the Lord because of Jesus Christ. Not a fractured, not divisive, not jealous, not segregated, not a temple of people who all look the same, but a devoted, unified, cohabitating, zealous, loving temple made up of all believers throughout the world. Michael Green shared this illustration. He said, imagine the master carpenter's tools holding a conference. Imagine the master carpenter, his tools, if they got together and they held a conference. Brother Hammer presides, but several suggest he leave the meeting because he is much too noisy. Brother Hammer replies, if I have to leave the meeting, then so too does Brother Screw, since you have to turn him again and again to get anything accomplished. To this, Brother Screw speaks up and says, If you wish, I'll leave, but not before Brother Rule leaves, since he is always measuring folks as though he were the only one who is right. And finally, Brother Rule complained about Brother Sandpaper. He ought to leave too then, because he is so rough and always rubbing people the wrong way. But in the midst of the discussion, in walks the carpenter from Nazareth. He has arrived to start his day. Putting on his apron, he goes to the bench to make a pulpit from which to proclaim the gospel. He uses Brother Hammer, Brother Screw, Brother Rule, and Brother Sandpaper, and all the other tools and materials. After the day's work, when the pulpit is finished, Brother Screw arises and remarks, Brethren, I observed that all of us were workers together for the Lord today. Church, we have been called to join together. Like blocks, like stones, tightly and perfectly fitting together 
as a part of God's temple. And Paul goes on in verse 22. He says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In him, in Christ, you also, you Gentiles, are being built together into the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. I mean, how beautiful is this? Christ is the cornerstone, the apostles and the prophets, their teaching concerning the doctrines of Christ, a.k.a. the Scriptures, they are the foundation. And then God takes believers, He takes living stones, and He constructs and He places them in a way to build His holy temple. And God is doing this day by day. Today, He is doing it. The church, the temple of God, it is living, it is active, and it is growing. God is placing new believers every day on His temple. Believers from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And why is He doing this? In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You are being built together into a dwelling place for God. This is the church where God now dwells. No longer does He simply dwell in a physical temple. No longer does He simply dwell in a tent or tabernacle. No, but as Harold Horner pointed out, God dwells in His new creation. He dwells in us as those redeemed by God, purchased by God, saved by God. God dwells in us. God has taken up residency in us via the Holy Spirit. Thus, if I have the Holy Spirit dwelling in me, and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, and we all have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, then we as a church made up of individuals indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we collectively as the church are where the God of peace dwells. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you. We as a church body, in submission to Christ and His Gospel, we must desire to display to the world our unity and our peace. But simply displaying unity for the sake of the irrelevant, it is not enough. Unity over traditional versus contemporary. Unity over pews versus chairs. Unity over jeans versus suits. It is not enough and it will have no impact on the world. Church, there are plenty of unified secular groups and clubs out there that are running directly to hell. Our unity, it is and must be in Christ crucified. Our unity, it is in our submission to Christ as revealed in His Word. Our unity displayed to the world is in our redemption through Jesus Christ and Christ alone, His atonement. You show me a church unified in and by the works of Christ, and I'll show you a church in which God dwells. Let us be that church indwelt by the Spirit and one in Christ. As we close this morning, I'll begin with the non-Christian who is here first. Non-Christian, I realize that some of these concepts or the nitty-gritty of the analogies, that they might sound foreign to you or they might sound weird. I understand that. But we all know what it means to belong to be a member of a particular group or class or organization, to fit into a specified place or environment, 
Psychologists note that much of a human's behavior, emotions, or thoughts actually revolves around a human's need to belong or the attachments we form with others. Thus, Jeremy Lineman concluded that belonging to God is our deepest need. And that makes sense. Who wouldn't want to belong to God, your creator? Who wouldn't want to have access to God, our creator? Who wouldn't want to be in perfect union with their creator? But here is the problem with wanting to belong to God. Non-Christian, your sin is the problem. Your sin, it has separated you from God. Thus, you need a Savior. But here is the good news this morning. There is a Savior. There is one. And his name is Jesus Christ. It is God himself coming into the world and taking on human flesh. Jesus Christ, who was truly God and truly man. And it is Jesus Christ who kept the law for us by living the life we never could live, by maintaining the righteous standard of God, the standard that we could never keep. And in perfect agreement with God the Father, Jesus Christ, He paid the price for the sins of His children. The wrath that we deserve, that we incurred on ourselves for our sins, Jesus Christ, He paid that price. Thus, Jesus Christ was crucified. He was crushed and He died in our place. He died a sinner's death in our place, though He never sinned. And He was a perfect sacrifice, a spotless sacrifice, a sinless sacrifice. Our propitiation, if you will. He appeased the wrath of God toward sinful children. But Christ was not done. Three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and defeating death and their eternal impact to all and all who believe in him. Thus, if today is the day you want to be in union, have eternal access to, and belong to the eternal family of God. Non-Christian, let today be the day that you turn from your sins, that you repent of your sins. You confess your sins and you trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sins, who paid the price for your sins, and because of his perfect life, he can clothe you in his righteousness and reconcile you back to God through eternity. Let today be the day. And the grace of belonging to God's eternal family, now and forevermore, non-Christian, it will be yours. Let today be the day that you trust in Jesus Christ as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, clothe you in his righteousness, and reconcile you back to God through eternity. And to the Christian that is here this morning. To the Christian here today, through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are citizens together in God's kingdom. You are members together of his family. You are stones together of his temple. In short, you belong to God. But are you living as if you did? 
You see, brother Christian, sister Christian, we all have responsibilities as the children of God. Think about it. Citizens, they have responsibilities to their kingdom, abide by the laws, pay taxes. Members, they have responsibilities to their families, provide, manage, listen, do chores. Even stones, they have responsibility of supporting and stabilizing the other stones around them. As the children of God, we have a responsibility to each other. Romans 12.5 says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And our call to each other, Galatians 6.10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially, especially, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Brother Christian, sister Christian, lovingly, let me share with you. You cannot maintain your responsibilities. You cannot maintain your call of doing good to those in the household of faith. You can't properly support or build up or love or share or cry together with those in your church family the way that we have been called to if the only way, the only time we see, the only time we think about, the only time we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ is from 10.30 to 11.45 on a Sunday morning. Church in order to make any of these illustrations work, we must lovingly bear responsibility to each other. Thus, lovingly, let me ask you, are we doing that? Are we calling each other to ask how our appointment with the cancer doctor went? Are we inviting each other over for dinner to touch base on our devotional time? Are we visiting our members who can't make it to church? Are we faithfully praying for the needs of each other on a consistent basis? Are we, by God's grace, fulfilling our responsibility of doing good to each member of our church family as a brother or sister would care for their siblings? Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body, all of us who have been born again through faith in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we be a family dedicated to serving our Heavenly Father and dedicated to loving each other. Father, let grace abound in this area. Lord, if we have failed in serving one another well or failed practicing good to each other, or if we have simply withdrawn from each other, Lord, we repent this morning. But Father, we pray that we turn from our sins and start this season anew. Let us not neglect to meet together, but help us to consider how to stir one another up in love and good works. Give us a zeal to outdo one another in showing honor, loving each other with brotherly affection. And Father, make us a church family that is devoted to the fellowship, encouraging one another and building each other up. And when an outsider... When a stranger, when an unbeliever sees the love we have as God's family, 
Let it be a point of conviction in their souls that they want to ask us, what do you have that makes you act this way in which we can boldly cry out, we have Christ. We have been saved, we have been redeemed, and we belong to Christ. And let that be the mark, the loving mark that differentiates us from the world. We have an intimate union with our God, eternally joined by the Holy Spirit to Him and to His people through our Savior and Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, oh, to God be the glory for the grace, the union, and the peace offered only through the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is so easy to say that we want to love you and love people. It is easy to say those words, but Father, help us to be doers of those words. Father, help us to realize that we were dead in our sins, and that before the creation of the world, you predestined us, and it pleased you to adopt us into your family. When we were dead in our sins, when we were your enemies, you showed us love, the love of a father. You were not coerced into loving us. You loved us because it is your character And as the children of God, we have been redeemed. We are new creations. Father, help us to be who we now are in you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in your family. Citizens together in your kingdom. Stones together in your temple. Father, give us a passion and a zeal to carve out time every day to pray for the members of this family. Give us a zeal to check up on our members who aren't feeling well. To invite each other over. To encourage each other. To hear each other's testimonies of how faithful you are, God, in our lives. And let this light be a beacon here in York. Let people drive by and see us communing and loving together. And say, what is so different about Faith Bible Fellowship Church? Let them ask that question, I pray, and let us boldly ring out that we belong to the King. We belong to Christ. Amen.